Our scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, a parable of the Lord Jesus, Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And Lord willing, if I have my wits about me, I'd like to recite uh, my own paraphrase. Uh, Sometimes uh, the translations don't quite capture uh, the way things were said back then. And uh, there are, each word has intonations and, and, and uh, has, has a whole flavor that uh, sometimes the cafeteria translators leave out. So uh, if you see some discrepancies or hear some discrepancies in my version, it's because I'm trying to bring out something that is already there, latent, uh, in uh, the Greek, in the original languages in which it was said. Uh, particularly, so I won't have to mention this during the uh, the sermon, uh, would you guys turn these things off and back, okay? They keep, sli- they keep sliding down, so just kind of lock them in here, all right? Uh, on verse, uh, verse 3, the, uh, the widow comes to the judge, and what she will say is, grant me justice against that snake in the grass. The word there is adversary, and it, but it's not a neutral word. It's a word with some hostility toward, uh, the, in this case, toward the speaker. And so I think snake in the grass is a, an English euphemism that pretty much covers her attitude toward uh, her uh, judicial enemy. Okay. Uh, Luke 18, starting with verse 1. Now, Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not chicken out. And Jesus was saying, once there was a certain corrupt judge who lived in a certain town, and he had no fear of God, and he couldn't care less about public opinion. And there was also, in that town, a certain widow who kept hounding him day after day, saying, me justice against that snake in the grass. And for a long time, that judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, well, even though I have no fear of God, and I couldn't care less what people think, yet, because this widow keeps hounding me. I'll see to it that she gets her justice. Well, otherwise, one of these days, she's going to knock my door down and punch me out. And Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And do you think that God will not work justice for his chosen ones who bawl to him day and night? I'm here to tell you, he'll see to it that they get their justice and quick. But here's the real question. When the Son of Man comes, is he going to find any faith at all on the planet? Let's pray that prayer we pray. Heavenly Father, 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your, in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What follows is a Rugelach story. In case you don't know, Rugelach is a uh, Jewish pastry in a crescent shape that's filled, and it is to die for. And speaking of dying, there was an older Jewish man named Arnold who was dying. He was at home in his bed. And all of a sudden, there in bed, he smelled the aroma of baking ruglock wafting up the stairs into his bedroom. And Arnold pulled himself out of bed, staggered to the doorway in the room, and carefully struggled down the steps to the first floor. When he got to the first floor, he crawled on all floors into the kitchen. And there he saw Rugelach, dozens of Rugelach, cooling on paper towels on the counters all over the kitchen. Had he died? Was this heaven? Or was this a final act of gracious generosity provided for him by his wife? One last great kindness for him. One last act of devotion. So Arnold crawled over to the kitchen table, pulled himself up into a chair, grabbed a rugelach, stuffed it into his mouth, and ate it greedily. It was wonderful. It was a tonic. It was an elixir. It was a fountain of youth. And Arnold felt healed. It was a rugelach miracle. And Arnold knew for a certainty that if he could just eat one more rugelach, he could live. He could be healed. Arnold stretched out his hand to take the next Ruglock, and as he did, crack! A wooden spoon wrapped over his knuckles, and his, the voice of his wife sounded above him. Arnold, you bandit! No more! You know they're for the funeral luncheon. Is there anything tougher than a Jewish mother? Wow. I don't think there's anything that quite matches a Jewish mother. How many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. That's right. Why? She sits in the dark till the bulb changes itself. Thank God I can read in the dark. 
Thank God I have wonderful children who long to read to me for the rest of my life when I turn blind. Remember the Jewish comic, Alan King? Yeah, Alan King used to say, what's the difference between a pit bull and a Jewish mother? The pit bull lets go. (laughs) Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus had a Jewish mother? Now think about it. The Virgin Mary was not Roman Catholic. But we don't think about it. We tend to just take that for granted. She wasn't some nice, sweet Catholic girl. She was a wildcat. She was tough, determined. She was a fighter. She was stubborn. In fact, this is true, the meaning of the female name Mary is stubborn. It comes from the Hebrew word for bitter. Uh, Remember the TV classic, Everybody Loves Raymond, still on uh, You can see it on cable every day of the week. Deborah Barone, played by Patricia Heaton. She's Mary. Independent, self-motivated, self-reliant. That's Mary. Now think about this for a second. The New Testament tells us that Mary was the widowed mother. It's assumed. I can show you where it, where it, it it refers to that, was the widowed mother of, does anybody know how many kids? Seven. Five boys and at least two girls. Seven children. She's the widowed mother of them, and one of those kids thinks he's the son of God. Now, you don't think she had it rough. I'll tell you, you take away the other six kids, and you just try to raise one teenager who thinks he's the son of God. Let's see if you can do that. In fact, we have one, 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 one story of Jesus' childhood. And you want to know if Mary's tough? Jesus was playing hooky, and uh, he left the the caravan uh, when they were returning from uh, the the visit to the Passover, and he stayed at home. He ditched his parents. It was missing for three, four, five days, and mom found him. She grounded him for 18 years. You can look it up. It's in the book book of Luke. So you thought parenting was tough. Jesus' mom was tougher. Now, throw in the other six kids and no income from her husband, and this was one tough lady, one resourceful lady, one hardworking lady. In fact, if you study the New Testament, lady was Jesus' pet name for his mom. Jesus speaks to his mother three times in the New Testament, and he never calls her mom, never calls her mother. I was instructed by my father growing up, she's your mother. You show her respect, you call her mother. She's not a she. She's not a her. It's your mom. Jesus didn't call her mom. His pet name for his mother was Lady. Lady. Now, your Bible will say uh, the word woman, that's not a good translation because that, that tends to, in English, that tends to be depersonalizing. 
woman, you're a stranger, we don't know you, you're, you're hardly a person. But lady acknowledges that she might well be a lady and she's a person worth, uh, worth recognizing. It's the kind of word that all the shopkeepers, repairmen, merchants, and city hall officials used to call her when she lived in Nazareth. Hey, lady, 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 lady. And so Jesus heard that long, so many times. That's what he called her, a title of admiration granted upon her by the people of Nazareth. Mary was a Jewish mother on steroids and under nuclear power, taking care of seven kids and no husband. In the villages all across Palestine, she wasn't the only one. There were other ladies like that. Plucky, persistent, pugnacious, but polite Jewish mothers. Defending their families, providing for their kids. Every village had one of them, or 30 of them. And everyone in Jesus' audience knew them. They were an aunt or a mom or a grandmother or a sister. And so when Jesus wants to tell a story about great-heartedness and grit, he tells a story about a Jewish mother fighting City Hall for her family. And everybody in the audience knew her. Now here's the key to understanding this parable. You'll find it in verse 5. Okay? Now, here was a judge who was corrupt and devoid of any ordinary means of influence. But your version says, I'll grant her request, otherwise she will wear me out by her coming. In other words, every day he comes to work, she's going to be in the waiting room. Let me tell you, Let me tell you, buy some tape, guys. <laughs> yeah, we'll invite the minister in, and uh, things, they'll just keep moving. We'll see what he does. So this guy, has, the judge, has no means of, pers of persuasion. And it says that, She's going to wear him out by his coming. Really? Really? Are you afraid of another old lady sitting in your waiting room? It's, it's not her coming. It's not the, an old woman. It's not a Jewish mother in the waiting room. It's a Jewish mother in the wait room. He's not afraid of her lifting her eyebrows. He's afraid of her lifting barbells. The Greek word is a, an Olympic term used in Olympic boxing, Greek word, and it's, it is to punch a man and blacken his eye. He's not being afraid of, of getting worn out. He's afraid of that little bulldog in bifocals giving him a shiner. This, uh, she was what, four foot eight? That's about how tall people were back then. Virgin Mary's about four foot eight. She's going to jump on his desk and punch him out. That's what he's afraid of. Now, What's going to happen? He's got this shiner. Then he's going to go to the corrupt judges club or, or, or the golf club, whatever they did in those days. And he's going to go into the locker room and the guys are going to say, hey, Charlie, what's with the black eye? 
We heard that this little old 70-pound lady knocked you cold. Is that right? And he's going to sit in his shame in the locker room uh, being picked on by all his peers. That's what motivates him. He's not going to be worn out. He's going to be knocked out. It's not exasperation. Here she comes again. It's combat. It's not the bother. It's her left hook. It's not her knocking. Grant me justice. It's not her knocking. It's her knuckles that he fears. And so all of his audience knew just what he was talking about. A grainy clampet in black. And laughter cascaded through the audience. It was a story of shock and awe, Jewish mama style. Now here, this has a couple of lessons for us, this story. The first concerns the faithfulness of God. What does the unjust judge say? Look, I've got no fear of God, so I'm not motivated by morality. I have no fear of what public opinion says, so I cannot be persuaded by, uh, by what people think of me. I have got no reason to grant this woman her petition, except for her pugnacity. In fact, it's quite likely that he will tur- turn down a substantial bribe by her opponent in order to rule in her favor. Now, here's a judge who has no motive to answer the petition, and yet he will. How much more, what this, this is technically called an a fortiori argument, it means how much the stronger, how much more will God answer prayer who has every motive? If a judge with no motive will do it, what about God who has every motive? Are you kidding? Of course. Will God keep putting us off? Will God keep dragging his feet? I'm here to tell you that he'll see to it that his people get their justice and quick. God will answer the aerobic prayers of his people who bawl to him day and night. But little faithers ask the question, does God answer prayer? Does God answer prayer? To Jesus, that's like asking, do the bears sleep in the woods? Can you get a good hoagie in Philadelphia? God's faithfulness and ability to answer the prayers of his people are beyond question. God's faithfulness and his ability to answer the prayers of his people is beyond question. My wife has pancreatic cancer. That is a death sentence. The statistics on that are that 80% of the people who are diagnosed with that die within a year. 90% live no more than two years with that diagnosis. My wife is 18 months into the diagnosis, and the the disease has barely progressed, and her numbers are that the, the cancer itself is almost neutralized. It's hardly active. And her grandkids... Pray for her every night. And the oncologist says, 
you tell your grandkids to keep on praying. God's faithfulness and ability to answer the, 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 the prayers of his people is beyond question. Now, hey, well, let's be honest, really. I mean, experience tells us otherwise, right? Aren't we frustrated? Doesn't God seem to, to take a long time or not even answer our prayers? Well, there are two reasons for that. One, one is quality control, and the other is production deadlines. God doesn't seem to answer our prayers because of quality control and production deadlines. Quality control. God often answers our prayers by giving us his best instead of what we ask for. We ask for something inferior. We ask for something that is less than what God wants to give us. So God doesn't answer our prayers. It's substandard. He won't let it out of the shop. So we don't get what we prayed for at first. When I was eight years old, I prayed for a motorcycle. Did I get it? Oh, you're afraid to answer because I'm a preacher. Did I get it? No. no, I didn't get the motorcycle. Because if I did get the motorcycle, I wouldn't be here to tell you about that story. I'd have been dead at eight. We ask for wealth. God wants to give us contentment. We ask for, for God to take away our problems because we're weak. God wants to strengthen us and gives us more trouble so we'll be strong in his strength. A God who makes heaven out of the crucifixion of his son will not be adverse to putting a little pain in our lives from time to time. Expect it. God's best gifts come wrapped in disappointment and difficulty. When disappointment and difficulty come into your life, you expect God is going to be providing a miracle somehow, some way through this crazy thing. So, some of the things we pray for never get shipped out of the warehouse because God won't let them out. They will harm our lives. That's quality control. The second thing is uh, production deadlines. God takes our requests and answers our prayer immediately, but it's in the future. It's right in his timing. And so we have not yet lived to that place in history. We already have the answer. We just haven't gotten there yet. There's a Jewish, uh, excuse me, there's, a, there's a, a black spiritual that goes, he may not come when you call him, but he's right on time. That's, that's exactly right. God has his own production schedule, and he's going to put it into a perfect time. 1972, July 1st, um, didn't have a girlfriend. I, uh, my dating life was below zero. And uh, I've been praying about this for quite some time. I was going to be a senior in college. As a uh, uh, college man, I uh, took advantage of every blind date. Thirteen blind dates. None. Zippo. I dated Steve McQueen's brother. Her name was Neil. I remember 
on that day, I was uh, in California going to a, a Christian college group, and I was in the car. My dad needed the car that night, so I couldn't get it. And he was driving me to this college pool party. And I said, Dad, it's just been so long. There's just nobody out there. I mean, how long, how long does God expect me to wait? How long can I wait for this? There's nobody. And my dad just kind of gave me some placebos, and there, there, there. And Two hours later, I met my wife that night. All that time, 13 blind dates. Oh, God doesn't answer prayer. Bruce, wait four hours. We've been married for 43 years. The father never misses a deadline. So is the father faithful to answer prayer? Is he going to come through? Duh. Was Jesus' mother Jewish? <laughs> yeah. But here's the real question. This is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man returns, is he going to find any faith on the earth? Faithfulness in heaven, well, you can bank on that. That's a non-issue. But the issue really is this. Is there any faithfulness on earth? There are two alternatives in the Christian life. Either you are faithful and you will be required to pray like a Jewish mother, or you chicken out. Now, most of your Bibles translate that verb in verse 1 as you'll give up, you'll lose heart. But there is a negative tone to that word. There's a moral issue involved. It's not just a matter of fatigue. It's a matter of giving up. It's surrender. It's lacking a quality that ought to be there. It's pray or you chicken out. Pray or you turn tail. Pray or you throw in the towel. It's not a stamina issue. It's a character issue. Are you going to pray and continue to depend on the Father? Or are you just going to stop praying, take the easy way out? Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples about chickening out as much as he's talking about prayer. And boy, isn't that something we need to hear. Our whole society... Our whole society promotes chickening out in order that life be easier and that we be guiltless. You have serious difficulties with your wife? Chicken out, just divorce her. Can't handle the pressure of abstinence? You want to be a virgin? You can't handle being a virgin. Okay, give up, says the world. Virgins are the oddballs. Non-Christian life is chicken-hearted. It's chicken-heartedness that causes the world to promote this idea of instant success, that you can be successful just by winning the lottery. Prosperity without perseverance. Success without any struggle. And Jesus' answer to all that is, do you pray? Baseball great Jackie Robinson's mother, Maddie, was a Methodist and a great Christian woman. And Maddie Robinson used to say, faith is prayer. Do you pray? Do you pray like your life depended on it? Because it does. No prayer, no faith. Much prayer, much faith. Do you pray all kinds of prayer? Do you pray getting up in the morning prayer? 
driving to work prayer, sitting in, the, in a chair reading your Bible prayer, singing in the shower prayer, breakfast, lunch, and dinner prayer. Call that grace. Get down on your knees prayer. Maddie Robinson said, faith is prayer. And she sent a son out to, to change the world. Do you pray? Jesus said, Jesus said, I like Jesus. Jesus said, I'm here to tell you that if any two of you on earth agree on anything, it will be done for you by my Father in his heaven. For whether two or three come together in my name, I'm there to do a miracle. Jesus says, group prayer is money in the bank. Prayer with another person is like playing the lottery and you always win. When the lottery gets high enough, what do you see? Drive, drive around town, go, go get some milk. The, uh, the prize on the lottery goes up. What, what, what's it, not like 500 million or something like that? Or people don't care about that. That's got to be a billion or something before people don't care anymore. What do you see? Lines. See lines of people. Jesus is here for you to do what, for you what you need to have done in your life. And we ought to see lines of people at the door to be prayed for. We ought to get in line. Maddie Robinson said, faith is prayer. So the real he question here is, does God answer prayer? That's not the real question. The real question is, is there any faith at all on the planet? Either you pray or you chicken out. And you want to know how strong the power of Jesus Christ is? When Jesus told a, a story about this story, about answered prayer, a politician got honest. That's not something you see every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grant us need because we only know you if we need you. Acquaint us with our need. Fill us with our need for you that we might be filled and we might know more of your power in life. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.